Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, March 1st, 2023. Hey everybody, I'm John Vanderbilt, the executive pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, and I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Morning, guys. Morning. Happy Monday. Yeah. Happy yes. Monday. Happy Monday. It's go time. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. I did you. say nobody got my jokes last week when you weren't here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Li- I didn't get a chance to listen. What were your jokes? Were they funny? I don't remember. Probably not. Oh. You just you're a, you give a nice courtesy laugh, you know, from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we dive in? Yeah, it's a good Sunday. Yeah, the Red Envelope Project. You'll hear a. An announcement about that later. Did people go into the Rathbun and mm-hmm. grab some envelopes? I walked by there we this did. morning and there were some missing from the wall. Yeah. We, we, they have a goal of raising 35. a little bit more than they raised last year. So yeah. all hands on deck. Yeah. I but didn't yeah. realize that the um, moving into ninth grade students are going to the Denver Dream Center. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. The Chicago Dream Center, I think they're related, right? Like there's uh, like they a, could be, yeah. I think so. I think there's like a, there's Dream Centers all throughout the U.S., I think probably run by different, okay. obviously, directors. The Chicago Dream Center was so instrumental in my testimony and my, like, birthing Naomi's house. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's I'm awesome. so pumped that that's where they're going in Denver. But uh, the Dream Centers are amazing. Yeah, my, um, so Annika and Caleb went last year because they were going into mm-hmm. ninth grade. Izzy will go this year. Annika and Caleb came back from that experience. Uh, two things. One, marked by the community that they got to be with. So the mm-hmm. students that mm-hmm. they traveled with, the friendships that were made and all that kind of thing. But the things that they saw and experienced yeah. as 14-year-olds yeah. um, in an environment that is supported, staff-structured, and that kind of thing, but interacting with, like, bringing water into parks and talking with homeless people who are there. And in the heat, it was like 95 degrees and the conversations they were having. And they came back with, did you like with an education? That's great. Um, so it's service learning, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're serving, but mm-hmm. they're, they're learning uh, about, you know, these different types of ministries and what's going on. And they had people come in every each night or on a regular basis and share their testimony of how, they came into the Dream Center and, and how their life has been changed, and mm. it was really impactful. That's so awesome. I'm excited cool. for Yay. other students to experience, too. And we had a, a moment at second service at the 501 campus with um, the Burmese church. So yeah. it dawned on me, like, uh, there, there might, there's probably a lot of people who actually don't know that there's a Burmese mm. church that meets here in our uh, worship center usually around one o'clock, somewhere around there, and they have a, a church service in their native language. Yeah. And uh, they are moving out to Aurora yeah. very soon. And um, so we had John Foster give them sort of a sending off, a prayer, that a gift, cool. those kinds of things. So hmm. that was fun. If anyone's, it's, it's really cool to see their worship service because uh, you, you won't understand a thing. And it's, it's beautiful, <laughs> just, but you know what they're doing. You know, it's just really cool. Um, how was, and Kelly was at Poplar, 
It was great. Yeah, yeah how was such that? a sweet congregation. I really enjoyed it. A lot of energy. Uh, Jenny Dobb led and Jeff Larson led, and they did terrific. It was the first Sunday of them doing a full hour of children's ministry. Oh, wow. I point that out because volunteerism has picked up in the last month. They uh, formerly had, I think, only one or two children's ministry workers. They have 17 right now. So there's a lot of strong momentum, good indication of God um, moving the vision forward, and kind of the the call right now is Easter. We're going to try two services on Easter morning, nine and ten thirty, at the Poplar Creek campus. Of course, we'll. I think we're doing three services at Glowing Bible Church, which is great. And so it was really fun to be out there. I love their. It's a very different experience. The room is, you know, there's it's only about three hundred square feet, and it's very intimate and yeah, yeah they laugh at my stories so it's good if you are if you're listening and you have friends in the bartlett area or maybe carol stream actually people from winfield um, are commuting winfield yeah. if you have friends in that area and they're looking and maybe they're once a year hey they'll go check a church out for easter send them to our poplar creek yeah. campus what's mm-hmm. the what's the address 300 east schick road there you go 300 bartlett. east schick road all right uh let's get into some questions yes first one In the vision, Paul was assured by the Lord that he would not be attacked and harmed. What are we to make of the fact that he was, in fact, attacked? He wasn't harmed, but he was verbally attacked by a group from the synagogue. Okay, so I just opened my email. Someone texted in this question a second time, so it's on the listener's mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I mentioned this a little bit on, uh, on Sunday, is that the almost the irony in the fact that uh, Jesus comes to Paul, gives him this like, you got this, man. What a comfort. Locker it. room talk. I'm here. You're not going to get attacked. And then it says, Paul stayed there a year and a half. And then the very next thing is, Paul was attacked by... <laughs> um, so I didn't get into all the detail, but I think there was potentially a significant amount of time that had passed. Mm-hmm. It could have... It, it probably wasn't like the next morning. Um, so there could have been some time that was that had passed, but that doesn't really matter. The fact is that he was, um, a mob moved against him. He was but, verbally attacked. They didn't uh, harm him. Right. I would, that's what I would hang on. I would say, I don't know what about you when you preached it, but I would hang on that, that he was attacked in a sense that he was, you know, brought to the, in front of the, the pro council who was sitting on the seat in the marketplace, right. To rule out judgment and um, but he wasn't physically harmed, and I think that can tell us something about what Paul, perhaps part of what Paul was afraid of, that Paul may have been afraid in the beginning of being physically hurt mm. and assaulted. That was part of his his fear, right? Like he had just been beaten with rods a couple of villages back, and and so for him to be brought forward, and, but yet not physically harmed, I think was still in line with what Christ had promised him. But the powerful moment in all of that was the, the pro count when Paul gets up to like... He's about to defend himself. All right, here we go. I got to defend myself again. It's like, I got this. And then the pro council like steps in for him. Yep. And I think it was probably for Paul this really powerful moment of remembering what Christ had said to him in that vision. You aren't going to be attacked. You won't be physically harmed. You're going to have resistance still, but look what I'm going to do. There's going to be someone that's going to stand up for you. 
Because I have many people in the city. The ESV says no one will attack you to harm you. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Yeah. It, it seems like attack is in. I'm looking at the NIV, the ASV, and the King James right now. Yeah. And uh, Would harm you and read, attack. Read the KJ, KJV force. Yeah, it's, Thou shalt it says not the same thing basically. <laughs> no, man, uh, no one will set, set on, on thee to, to hurt. hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's the same same thing as the ESV. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like the harm and attack are to, together. Yeah. Yeah. I so think it I, was a physical. Paul was afraid of his physical safety alone in a dark city. He had just you know he licking his wounds a little bit from his time in Athens and his time in. Have you listened to my sermon, John? No. You did better than I did. I listened to your sermon. You did a great job <laughs> shaping uh, the context that would make him afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Why, why would Paul be weak and, uh, and trembling? That's how he says he show, when he shows up, he writes to the Corinthians in his first letter and he says, when I came to you, I was weak and afraid and trembling. trembling. You yeah. did a great to set up, you know, why would he feel that way? Yeah. Trembling with fear is significant. Mm. Right, I mean, yeah. I don't. I, I, yeah, I I made the case that you know he had, he was alone. You made that case. Uh, he had PTSD, most likely. I mean, he was stoned and left for dead. Right. I mean, that's you don't bounce back quickly from that. Right. Right. Um, so he was broke. Yeah, spiritually, um, he had just been run out of the synagogue. I hadn't read that section to yeah. to the Poplar Creek folks, but he. He was run out of the synagogue. So he's alone, rejected by his own people, and it hadn't gone well at previous cities. Yeah. I find a lot of encouragement in, in the fact that he was fearful. Right. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to give myself or anyone else a license to be fearful and sin, but yeah. at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, dude, don't beat yourself up and shame yourself so badly. Mm-hmm. Like, this dude literally heard Jesus' voice and had a conversion, a conversion experience like none other. You know, I mean, he had, he, he was not faith unseen. He was right. faith seen. Like it was, it came down on him, right? right. And he still, you know, mm-hmm. has issues. He's still human. Right. He still has sin. Like the man of Paul struggles. The man yeah. Paul, the human Paul, the person Paul, is something that we don't talk a whole lot about. You know, Peter and he. You know, we speculate or whatever, but this is really that picture of him as not the superhero that we sort of make him out to be in our minds sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, he's in, he's 50, maybe a little older than 50, most likely, walking alone. I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of years left on the earth. Right. 50's the, old for the first the, century. The, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and by himself, and he's not living the healthiest lifestyle. No, he's getting his butt. He's getting up. hurt, and yeah. Yeah. Um, he's in a strange land, yeah. strange food. You know, he's one of you know the only Christ followers in the area. I mean, hard. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, number two, Pastor Kelly mentioned that it is sin to fear. I have an anxiety disorder. Does that mean I'm constantly sinning? That brings up a whole other question. Can we be hardwired for sin? So I think I, what I said uh, more, most specifically is that much, many fears that we have, 
are sinful. Not all fear is sinful. <laughs> Some fear is really helpful, and I, uh, I tried to point that out. I told the story of um, a situation in which my brother and my father and I got, my, got ourselves into in, which, in Yellowstone, and we were surrounded by buffalo. Mm-hmm. Our stupidity got us in a bad situation. It, we were right to be afraid. <laughs> you should be afraid of buffalo. Yeah, right, Tatanka. So we, you know, fear gives us the adrenaline release needed to fight or flee. And so not all, not all fear is sin, but I went on to talk about how in the last couple of weeks I've struggled with some, some anxiety over some various issues in my family life and how that, I was deeply convicted in preparation for the sermon that that is sin. It's a lack of faith. And mm-hmm. I know that we both pointed that out in our sermon. The real problem with fear is that it undermines faith and faithfulness. So let me see if I can drill down a little bit here. I don't know if you're constantly sinning in your anxiety. Only God knows what is in the heart of humanity. However, I do know that it is the very reason Jesus died and was raised, to care for us in our sinfulness. So I wouldn't spend a lot of time trying to identify the quantity of my sin. I don't spend a lot of time on that. The good news is the spirit who lives in those who are trusting in Christ will make it plain to us when we need to confess and repent of sin. He did that for me in just the last few weeks on some anxiety and worry that um, was not God-honoring in my life. It had to do, has to do with my adult children, right? So I would spend my energy on savoring Jesus. And that's actually the men that I confessed to on Thursday night. I, uh, I said, I need to train my mind when provoked to worry about my adult children. I need to train my mind to focus on Jesus and savor Jesus. Um, remember, when it comes to sin, we are totally corrupt, which is not to say, so the, the listener asks, can we be hardwired for sin? We are uh, theologically, the word is often used, totally depraved, which is not to say we have committed every possible sin. That's not what the, uh, the position of total depravity means. It doesn't mean we've done everything possibly wrong that we could do, but rather what it means is every part of our being is affected by our sin. In graduate school, one of my professors was fond of saying, I'm not right-handed because I write with my right hand. I write with my right hand because I'm right-handed. His point was that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Sinful is who we are, and salvation is what we need as a result. If if we weren't at our most, at our core sinful, then Christ wouldn't have needed to die. We simply would have needed education. Um, behavior modification, um, therapy. But what we actually need is a savior because we are corrupt to the very core of our being. David, the psalmist sang in Psalm 51, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And again, that's, a, that's the lyric to a song. I wouldn't, it's not the core of our theology. But when you couple that lyric, Psalm 51, 5, with what Paul writes to the Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2.1. 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul is describing the condition in which we come in, by which we come into the world as dead in transgressions, needing to be born again, needing to be revived, needing to be brought to life. And so our state is that of sinful and we're in need of salvation. And so I, pastorally, I, I wouldn't encourage people to spend a lot of time quantifying their sin, but rather savoring Jesus. Certainly face their sin. Don't run from it. Acknowledge it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And I do, I do no one had to teach me. So the question, can we be hardwired for sin? No one had to teach me to sin came fairly naturally to me. <laughs> and Scripture seems to bear that out. It's good. It might make sense to go to question four. Jump? Yeah, yeah. because that has to do with... Yep. Uh, ties right into uh, this, this yeah. question. Yeah. So what is the role of professional help when dealing with fear and anxiety? Yeah, this kind of, the reason it connects in is, you know, I've got an anxiety disorder. So, um, and and most likely if you have an anxiety disorder, you're looking for um, help in that disorder and the message of, um, you know, uh, repent and it'll go away or, you know, <laughs> those are not helpful <laughs> in that kind of situation. It's fairly simplistic. Repentance right. is great. Right. I think appropriate. I think there's a, the question is, you know, how debilitating is the situation that you're in? Um, and there's sort of a spectrum of these sorts of disorders, right? Of um, this person says I have anxiety disorder, there's sort of a spectrum there, right? That, um, that you need help in figuring out where am I? <laughs> how debilitating is this? Is this a normal amount of fear that I just need to, to begin to confess? It's, um, or is this a, a pattern where I feel a certain way all the time in certain situations and I need some strategies to help me get out of this um, rut or this pattern or, um, or whatever it is. And I think, I mean, certainly over and over and over, we've talked about the value in certain situations for some people to seek professional help with things that they are struggling with. We've said that over and over and over and over. And I would say that this is the same yeah. type of scenario um, at the same time. So there's, uh, it's important to realize that many rush to therapy and to medicine before having a conversation with Jesus, right? Like we, there's some that do, that do that, and it's not an either or, right? It's got to be a both and. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody that goes to get help has not done the work of talking it through with Christ, but I do know a lot of people that we interact with and meet with that often will rush to that scenario, and I'm not talking about just in an anxiety disorder, but with lots of things um, that immediately we go to um, something to solve something versus what might Christ be doing in here? Is this a testing of my faith? Should I be growing in a certain way? Do I need to confess something? Do I need, you know, so um, often I would say, you know, it's to somebody, it's, it can be both and. That, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, w I wonder if, if it's true that people rush to therapy and medicine or 
um, I find, especially amongst my peers, so women, middle-aged women with children and a lot of responsibilities, um, instead of rushing to therapy and medicine, what I find to be a little bit more prevalent in my demographic is that we just deal with it. We sit with it. We Mm. don't address it. We don't address it. And so I'm like, I feel like I'm having anxiety in this moment. Um, and I'm noticing it and I'm thinking to myself, um, it's a symptom of something else. And so this, this is my case. It's an an anxiety disorder is much different than why do I have butterflies in my stomach right now? You know? And so I think that's more the spectrum we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. So what I, what I think and what I, do when I'm noticing anxiety and how it manifests itself for me. A lot of times it is like, like feeling like you have butterflies in your stomach or, um, I have a hard time concentrating or I'm edgy. Don't even ask my kids what this looks like, but they'll, they're at the point now they'll be like something much, something else is going on. And that right. is usually how it, it, it manifests. So for me, anxiety is a symptom sure. of something deeper. Mm-hmm. And if I'm in the right mind and if I'm, uh, disciplined enough to notice the anxiety, then I can address the symptom or I'm anxious about something coming up or I'm anxious about what I haven't finished or what I'm walking into for work. Mm-hmm. And I have to address that mm-hmm. um, as opposed to letting the behavior for me, which can lead to sin. Yeah. I think it's important to realize we can be full of faith and we can be casting our cares on Jesus, Mm -hmm. and still need somebody to help walk us through whatever we're struggling with. Mm -hmm. The message are not contradictory. Yeah. To say, church, cast your cares on Jesus. Mm -hmm. It does not contradict. uh, Go go find a Christian counselor who can help you. For some. Mm -hmm. For some. Right? I mean, gosh, God can step in and heal anything. I mean, just before the podcast... John was sharing a story about his mom, who after 70 years, basically, her vision has been restored, right? right? right. Like, crazy, just, you know, whatever. But, gosh, you may need lots of sessions of therapy to go back 20, 30, 40 years. Like, that's more than just a conversation with somebody. That's more like there are doctors who can help you get through that. Right. And especially ones that will also pray with you and help you get through that at the same time. And man, it can be a really powerful uh, journey right? when you bring somebody else in like that. One of the things I find most uh, comforting is that um, the gift listing or the lists of gifts in the New Testament, and Paul offers several gifts, uh, lists of gifts. We talk about leadership. We talk about administration as gifts. Uh, prayer can be a gift. Um, and then there are gifts like prophecy, uh, gifts of wisdom. Um, but certainly, and no one believes these gifts are exhaustive. Uh, these lists are exhaustive. Most people, scholars, believe that the lists that Paul has offers in the New Testament, even of the fruit of the Spirit, they're not exhaustive lists. They're samplings. But I'm convinced that there are gifts given to some to help walk people out of the woods. Mm-hmm. That is, to, to help with the healing of mind and body. And so certainly God has given the gift of counseling to some. And um, so as John pointed out, you know, you want to find somebody that shares your worldview, a Christian counselor to sit with, and, and those people are trained and, and called and gifted to help. 
if we were to go back to the scenario that you just talked, you mm-hmm. were talking about, because I think that's actually, I think you represent your demographic. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say mm-hmm. it's the same probably for my demographic. I think that there, if, so if we're talking about a group of folks, right? So let's say there's this, a demographic that you're representing. For some, there may be freedom that comes from, they've, they haven't fully felt like they can cast that onto Jesus. They haven't really entered into that, that conversation or they haven't looked at those scriptures that talk about fear mm-hmm. or they haven't looked at them fully and embraced them maybe. And they're growing, right? I'm thinking of my, you know, people I know in that, in that scenario. There's others that have done a ton of that work and still feel trapped. Yeah. They still feel like the backpack is crushing them. Mm-hmm. Others are going, oh, okay, I can do... I can start to make some progress here. And they may feel some immediate relief. Mm-hmm. Others are going, I've done this. <laughs> this is, you're killing me here by telling me just to have more faith or whatever, which no one said on Sunday, but that kind of idea. Others are going, um, man, I've done the work with Jesus and I feel so close to him. And yet I, st- I keep tripping myself up, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just feel like I keep getting tripped up, right? So there's a spectrum there, right, of folks that say, man, you're feeling a lot of freedom in what you've just started to do in your confession with Christ and you're in community and you're talking through some of these things and you're feeling a lot of joy, relief. The backpack is not as heavy as it was. That's not prescriptive for then every person right. in the group, other than the fact that Scripture tells us to cast our, our anxiety, our fears, our worries on on to Christ. But for somebody else, it may mean that there's something in, a, in addition to that. Or um, do, do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I think that we can, the, the one size fits all thing that, that we, everybody in that group needs to do is give more to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And let him care. Um, and not to say that, um, well, because you're still struggling, you haven't given it all to Jesus. That's not what we're saying. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello, Glenelg Bible Church. Wanted to bring one announcement to you this morning. The Red Envelope Project has started. It's a three week long effort to raise money for our students going out on mission trips this summer. We have a uh, hundred students going out. They're going to uh, downtown Chicago to work with By the Hand. They're going to Denver and they're going to the Dominican Republic. Different trips for different age groups. The Red Envelope Project is an opportunity to give to support their efforts. Our goal is to raise $35,000. Love you to be a part of that. You don't have to be physically present on Sunday morning to give. You can give online. Go to gebible.org and you can give online. There's a giving page. So join us in the effort to bless our kids. Uh, So I worry all the time. What are some biblical strategies to address worry and anxiety? This is a great follow-up. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, counseling is definitely a, a, a biblical strategy, but... It's a biblical strategy because uh, the the biblical strategy of acknowledging, that's, you know, we we could call it confession, but acknowledging that you're anxious, worried, fearful, is of huge import. Uh, Simone talks about the the very suburban temptation to uh, pretend we're not anxious, worried, or fearful. but we're told by Paul, bring these things to the light. Ephesians 5.13, they become light. The light impacts them. Don't stuff them down. So bring that stuff up out of the interior of your soul. Talk about it. And, um, and let, 
let the person of Christ and then the people of Christ bear your burdens, whether that's one-to-one with a counselor or, or one-to-a-few with a small group. Or, um, but acknowledging is an important biblical strategy. Hmm. And then uh, some of the work I've had to do is I've had to work to identify the source or the origin of anxiety, fear in my life. I'm, I've shared before that I feel like I was taught in my home of origin to to be anxious. What if the other shoe's going to drop? Or what about this? What about that? And and so we need to address that and be aware of it uh, so that we can unwrap those tapes, unravel those tapes, and, and have new tapes, mm-hmm. which means renewing your mind. And so acknowledging and then doing the work to identify the origin um, and then um, retaping or renewing your mind may include memorizing scripture, meditating on scripture throughout the day. Uh, someone recently shared with me, I have a great start to every day, but by midday, later day, it's just all unraveled. And, you know, the early, it's not uncommon in, when you read um, the early church fathers that they would pray three times a day. They didn't do it simply because they were devout. They did it because they needed to pause (laughs) three times a day to keep their mind on track. And so stopping at lunch, stopping at dinner and, and meditating on Psalm 23, uh, will fear no evil because he's with us and reminding ourselves that there's no need to fear. And then finally, I would say ask is a strategy. We have not because we ask not. We need to ask the Lord that we'd be perfected in love. Mm -hmm. Um, Perfect love casts out fear. Those that fear are not yet perfected in love, we're told in 1 John 4.18. So we need to be asking that the Lord would perfect us. And that means convince us that we're loved perfectly and and he's caring for us. Mm -hmm. I would also say worship. What's your worship look like, right? Like, do you treasure, do you truly treasure God above all things? If you do, what does that practically look like throughout your life, day in and day out, especially, especially in the gathering on Sundays? Like, what, because man, if you really treasure something more than anything, think about, I don't know, if you're a parent, you have kids, like, that's a pretty high treasure, right? man, and how your feelings for them and how you celebrate them when they do something, especially we, we celebrate hardcore when they make a good character, decision, moral decision, character decision, like, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. But gosh, I had a son um, get a pick six last year in flag football. I lost my stuff. I was like, <laughs> I was, it was like the greatest thing ever, you know, but it's because I value and treasure my kids a whole lot. So if we value and treasure God a whole lot, um, man, what does is, what is your worship life look like? Does it reflect God's position in your life? Um, the more you treasure God, the more you worship and hold him uh, in the highest place, the less, I think, fear will master you. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably, you know, mm-hmm. those two things probably work together. I think there's a lot of um, practical strategies that we can couple with the biblical strategies. Mm. And for me, I know it's things like slowing down, Mm. trying to live at a pace that 
if I let it, it will overcome me. And then it's an overflow of how it impacts the rest of my family slowing down. I mean, the research that is coming out more and more on the impact social media and access to news that has on us and our anxiety is pretty telling. So unplugging or reducing the amount of like what we're ingesting, I think is really important, but those are disciplines because being on a, like an Instagram account or a news headlines or whatever, that's like candy to our brains. It's like a quick shot of something that makes us feel good. And so you're constantly going back to that, acknowledging that those are some things that um, are, are aiding to our anxiety is important. Um, so slowing down, being careful what you're putting in your brain. Um, I had another one. I forgot it. You're really good with on the, the CDC just, and, and I know people don't like the CDC is not the end all be all of everything everywhere, but they just came out with research on uh, high school yeah. kids and they're actually wondering and doing more work to figure out if social media was, is actually causing you think? some of the high anxiety and suicide rates that we're seeing mm -hmm. In, in teenagers right now, mm -hmm. like lower teen pregnancy, lower drug use, mm -hmm. but this spike in anxiety and um, depression and then suicide rates. And I just was reading the article that came out about it, but yeah. are those, is uh, social media, the stuff that you had just talked mm -hmm. about um, and not just um, like, getting a source somewhere else, but how they treat each other mm -hmm. on social media. Yeah. Uh, is that actually causing um, some of the stuff that yeah. we're seeing, which and is crazy. So then what do you do, right? Yeah. If we're trying to prevent things, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> are we gonna are we gonna take away? I thought of the other one yeah. that I think is related. I think that we are not great at boundaries. And so if, if we can do a better job, if I can do a better job implementing boundaries in my life, which all sorts of things, how, when and how am I on my phone? What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? Hmm. Managing our social calendar with our kids' activities, with workload, with hmm. anticipating projects. Or like being aware of where your boundaries are, I think yeah. um, I struggle with. I just say yes to everything. I'm hmm. just a... FOMO freak. So there's, but when that happens and when I'm saying yes to everything or whatever it is, then, um, then you, you're just so susceptible to like, I can't do all of this. I can't keep up with this pace. I have this worry. I have this anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I know for me, the discipline of instilling boundaries and sticking to them helps me slow down and mm -hmm. be in the present and God yeah. is in the present. Uh, so whatever we can do to be present, I think, is where I find my anxieties um, and my worries are less than they would be otherwise. Well, and, you know, to talk about studies, that, um, if you have ever read sleep studies and when you get your best sleep. I, so I just made a, um, over the last couple months, made a change in my life. Just tried to just kind of subtly commit to, to just being done with the phone at night and just going to bed. Yeah. Like... You know, you could lay in bed and be on your phone for a long time, mm -hmm. right? And and so I've just started. I've committed to getting up earlier, and I can't get up earlier if I stay up too late. Mm -hmm. And usually, if I stay up too late, it's because I'm tooling around on my phone. Like yeah. you know, nothing like sinful, but just on my, it, mindless. just engaging mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing it less. I've just been turning my phone off and just kind of going to bed earlier. 
I don't think I'm missing anything, number one. But number two, um, there are, like, go, go and read some studies about when you get your best, most nourishing sleep. It is earlier in the night than it is later. Hmm. If you don't go to bed until one or two o'clock, you are not refreshing your body the way that it is. If you don't refresh your body, guess what happens? You start to get more anxiety. You start to get more depressed. You start to have more, you know, your body starts speaking to you like, yeah. hey, dude, I need something different here. Um, so that, that was actually convicting reading a, a study on that. Like, oh, your, your best sleep is happening from 11 to 2 or whatever it was. Um, but I thought it was really compelling. And I thought, wow, mm-hmm. I, need to, I need to engage with that a little bit then. Uh, okay, let's go to the last one. Gallio is an interesting character. You said he may not have been a Christian, yet was used by God to protect Paul. How does that work? God using people that aren't in the faith. It's interesting. Um, I, there's so much history and like stuff going on in the in Acts 18. Like Claudius kicked the Jews out of Italy. Like what? That's a huge deal. Some say 70,000 Jews were displaced. Wow. I mean, imagine what that does to the, that world at that time. It's like, that's massive. They don't know if that number is exactly it, but it could be up, upwards of that many people. Yeah. Um, so that was going on. And then you have, I mean, there's just all sorts of like history and we have all this information from anthropology and archeology span and these Roman writings and philosophers and Greek writing and philosophers that, I mean, it's- Just curious, did Josephus cover that? Was, is there extra biblical writing I on think, I think there's- that? Oh, yeah. yeah, I think there's, absolutely. Yeah, and there's writing. I mean, the Roman writings are the ones that are okay. significant. I mean, yep. they kept records of everything. Yep. So it's interesting because Gallio was actually a Roman senator from Rome, sat in Rome. He's actually the older brother of Seneca. You guys know Seneca? So Seneca, Seneca. was who um, many think was a, a Christian, like he's quoted a lot in the early church. They don't know for sure. He was uh, killed by Nero um, for his beliefs. Anyway, Gallio was his older brother, was a senator, and was on special assignment in Corinth. We get this all from the Roman history. Somebody actually talked to me after first service about it a little bit, and I did a bunch of digging last night. Um, But he was on special assignment in in Corinth because there was some kind of dispute going on, something happening. So they send Gallio. He's going to be the dude who's going to settle this or whatever. He's there for 18 months. Paul was there for 18 months. <laughs> Gallio is sitting on the, the bema seat or bema seat or whatever. He's in the marketplace hearing everybody's junk, trying to sell, settle disputes. Paul gets dragged in there and he speaks up on behalf of Paul and defends Paul from getting jailed, killed, run out of Corinth. It's just really fascinating. And yeah. then he leaves after 18 months and goes back to, to Rome and gets back into his job as a senator. I just, that's fascinating to me how God worked through people, history, time, place, all that was going on, knowing that Paul was going to show up there, knowing that Paul was going to get visited by Jesus in a dream, knowing that Jesus was going to say, you're not going to be attacked. And I got many people in the city. And then this 
random senator who's there just to calm things down uh, defends him. And he, he gets to do God's work in that city. I don't know. You guys are all looking at me like, yeah, John. No, it's good. <laughs> Proverbs 21.1 says, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. And the notion here is that God turns the hearts of rulers in disposition towards things he wants to favor mm-hmm. or address. And so I think we see that with Gallio and what am I? We see it with Cyrus, the king of oh, the yeah. Persian Empire, who encourages the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. Um, so it's not uncommon. One of my kids after service was like, yeah, but he let the synagogue leader get like trashed and beaten <laughs> up in front of him. He didn't say anything there. What was going on with that? <laughs> if he was so great, why didn't he step up then? I don't know, but I made the, I made the argument that he was there to protect Paul in that moment and that that was what was important. The political issue and the legal issue of the Jews in Corinth was not his focus. And so had he stepped in and protected Sothenes, it might have crossed the line and caused more trouble for the Jew, for the Jews there and then ultimately Paul as well. So my take on it was he was there to give this special word to protect Paul and not to engage in the politics of the agreement between Rome and the Jewish people and how they allowed them to have their religion. And that would be my take. So I don't know if yeah. you guys thought something else, but it's an interesting piece of us history. Uh, David McCullough, my favorite historian wrote a book titled Truman <laughs> and talks about his presidency. Uh, it was during Truman's presidency that the nation of Israel was green lighted by the United Nations to become a nation once again, or to have its own land. And, um, the David McCullough, the historian goes into why would president Truman, who was a big champion of Israel having their own land, why would he do that? And it, it's an interesting study in how God might turn the hearts of Kings rulers, uh, to be influential, um, Truman had one Jewish friend who he had owned a business with and uh, actually called that Jewish friend during his deliberations. And it's just fascinating how subtle yet demonstrable is God's work in the world to accomplish his purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't really get to the question, how does God use people that aren't in the faith? Absolutely. Clearly. Absolutely. Clearly. I think sometimes God uses people outside the faith to help bring them to faith. Mm. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah. um, I mean, there's stories all through scripture of God using rulers and kings and people all, all over the place to aid in the, the ministry and the mission that God has. And those people come, come to faith, you know, many of them or are like, think of like a Rahab. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a beautiful mm-hmm. uh, picture there, right? Um, listed in the, in the genealogy of Jesus mm-hmm. yeah. for helping the spies, um, so I, I think most definitely God, God uses those who are outside of what He uses whomever he wills, right? whomever he wants. All right. Good to go? I just heard John say, don't engage in politics. That's all I heard. In his- I said that? <laughs> I'm pulling you out of context. <laughs> <laughs> that last question.
All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning into the next level. Prophecy.